This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to Chicago Shuffle, the official Chicago Bears podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Brian Perez. This is episode number two of the show. And I want to thank you guys and gals, you beloved Bears fans out there, for such a great reaction and response to our first episode, which aired last week. If you haven't had a chance to listen, make sure you check it out. I recapped the entire 2019 NFL draft class for the Bears. We touched on the good picks, the maybe questionable picks, and all the undrafted free agents that this team added over the course of three days. Ryan Pace put together another gem. Make sure you check out that episode. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to the show or anywhere you get your podcasts from so you can be alerted anytime we put up a new episode. Our goal is to run a new show at least once a week, and especially here in the offseason where we're all craving our Bears news, notes, and nuggets. I hope this becomes your go-to destination for all of that and more. And to have some Bears conversation, head over to Twitter. Give me a follow, at Brian Perez NFL. That's Brian with a Y. And if you're craving some Bears news, head over to BearsWire.com, which is where I get to serve as the site's managing editor. We are doing our best to provide you guys content every single day, every time a Bears story breaks. We're all over it. And Bears fans, we have a lot to talk about now that rookie minicamp is in our rearview mirror. There was a decision made on Leonard Floyd and his fifth-year option. Believe it or not, even though we're heading toward the middle of May, there's a lot of Bears news to discuss. And fortunately, I had an opportunity to talk about many of those storylines and more with Lauren Cox, who covers the Chicago Bears for NBC Sports Chicago. He's one of our lead writers over at Bears Wire, and he does a lot of analytics work for Pro Football Focus as well. And we'll get into that interview in a few minutes. But before we do, I want to kind of go over, gloss over some of the things he and I had a chance to speak about. And we got to start with this whole kicker situation in Chicago. And it has really turned into some somewhat of a circus at this point. And almost, in my opinion, a little bit of an embarrassing narrative that's surrounding our team. And this embarrassing narrative is a direct result of the Chicago Bears front office not being able to fix a problem that they brought upon themselves when they decided to part ways with Robbie Gold back in 2016. Whether it's been Connor Barth or Cody Parkey or the slew of kickers in between who were brought in to be good enough for a roster that at the time was obviously in a phase of rebuilding, it just has failed, and it's failed miserably, and it's failed in the worst possible way in terms of the last play of a promising season coming as a missed field goal. And I think everyone that follows this team, everyone even around the league, assumed that priority number one for Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy and anyone who matters within the Chicago Bears organization that number one priority was going to be kicker. And it's not necessarily something that's going to excite a fan base, prioritizing a kicker, obviously. But 
nothing is going to enrage a fan base more than the kicker costing this team a meaningful game or obviously sending them home earlier than they should by losing a playoff game. So even though it may not have been a headline-grabbing strategy for Ryan Pace to go after maybe a Steven Goskowski or doing whatever was necessary to bring Robbie Gold back, it would have been a move or a decision or a philosophy or just an approach to this roster's construction that you know, come November, December would have would have would have actually produced the kind of of results that this fan base and this team can get excited about, right? So it would have been a full circle type of transaction that even though, you know, everybody in free agency and in draft weekend, you want to see the pass rusher, the Allen Robinson type of playmaking receiver, you know, maybe that bookend left tackle. You want to see those guys added in the offseason because they generally have a greater immediate impact on changing the fortunes of a franchise. But this team doesn't need that guy. This team has the roster that's ready to compete right now for a championship, and the only thing really holding it back, the only glaring weakness, is the only spot that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy have not addressed, and that's kicker. At the rookie Kenny, at the rookie minicamp, we've seen stories about how Matt Nagy was having these no-name kickers competing in a 43-yard field goal attempt to try to simulate what ultimately ended the Bears season last year because that's the distance that that Cody Parkey ultimately wasn't able to convert from. And I I just don't get it. I mean, I, I don't see where psychologically or even philosophically that that's the right approach. I mean, if a guy is able to make a 43-yard kick in a rookie minicamp with absolutely no real pressure on him uh, other than the pressure to try to earn a contract, that doesn't mean that that guy is capable of converting when it matters most for Mitchell Trubisky and Khalil Mack and every other player who's going to give their blood, sweat, and tears for four quarters uh, over 16 games or more in a season. That doesn't answer that question. A guy that's able to make those kicks in a rookie minicamp or even training camp environment doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the guy that makes the kicks when it matters most. And if there's a simple solution, which I, I touch on with Lauren when we speak uh, later in the show. You can find a guy who's done it, who, who's proven himself on the NFL level and avoid any of this unnecessary attention that's paid to the position. Because one of the things you want when you have a kicker situation on your roster is for the situation to not come up at all. One of the worst ways for a kicker to start the year is for him to start the year with all this pressure of having to prove himself as a guy who's capable of replacing Cody Parkey or even just capable of being an NFL starter. If you add a player, let's say, for example, like Matt Bryant, who's already established himself in the NFL as a reliable kicker, even if his best years are behind him, you're really silencing the outside noise when it comes to that situation on the roster. So to start a year where guys like Trubisky or Akeem Hicks or Khalil Mack or a rookie like a David Montgomery or even a veteran like an Allen Robinson are going to have to talk to the media about the kicking game, it's going to happen. I mean, these guys are going to be asked questions about the kicking game, whether they like it or not. To put these guys in a situation where they're going to have to actually address the kicker, to me, is is just, I, I don't know. It's it's a It's setting this roster up for a very chaotic experience in the summer, this summer during training camp, when it can all be avoided, Ryan Pace. You can avoid all this. Sign a veteran kicker who has a track record of success. It is really just that simple. And we're going to talk about how simple it is with Lauren Cox in a minute, but if you also want to know 
What's simple? Let me tell you guys. What's simple is how you get your razors. I've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com backslash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, a travel blade cover is also included. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. So enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining simple, clean design with quality quality, durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Go claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com backslash blue wire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund again. Make sure you go to harrys.com backslash blue wire to redeem your razor for $3. And now it's time to get into my interview with Lauren Cox, who you can follow over at Twitter at CoxSports1, that's C-O-X Sports1. I started off with the whole kicking competition and asked Lauren if he thought that this was the right way for the Bears to approach this situation. I think up to this point, we've seen enough red flags along the way with trying to find a kicker here that when we get to September, October, November, and things maybe aren't going well with the kicker spot, I think we'll be able to pretty well look back and feel like we would have and should have and perhaps are seeing the issues coming here pretty well in advance. I mean, I understand there are only so many ways you can address the kicker position in the offseason and you're limited by what other teams are going to do and and what the markets might bring. But it's clearly uh, a a flailing and, and fledging attempt here that doesn't feel very solid or you know sturdy in terms of producing something that is going to be consistent i I think it's somewhat of an admission of an inability perhaps to properly scout and assess the kicker position that you know what they they they're not good enough to be able to just nail one guy and and i think most teams kind of struggle with that so you might as well bring in eight to rookie minicamp and and hope that one of your lottery tickets is able to bring you a, a little bit of something and try and you know have the cream rise to the top by week one but the, the bigger issue there becomes okay can you really tell by week one which of these kickers is going to be the best for your team so it's it's a mess and i think we're quite a ways away from uh, getting something solid out of it do you think this is an admission of their inability to scout the position, or do you think this is really the team almost sacrificing kicker for the overall roster you know, construction in 2019? Because if you think about what was invested in Cody Parkey, the dead money that still exists in his contract, and to have to come back around in 2019 and maybe waste a draft pick or trade a draft pick to secure a player like, let's say, for example, a Robbie Gold or even make a big-time offer for a player like uh, Steven Goskowski. I mean, is it more about the Bears saying, look, we've wasted too much money and too much time in trying to figure out who would be the guy that replaces Robbie Gold, and they're almost just treating the position like an afterthought or, you know, because I just think these guys are too arrogant and they have too much of an ego. And I'm not saying that specifically for the Chicago Bears. I just mean general managers and talent evaluators in general tend to be pretty egotistical guys where they don't really necessarily find many flaws in their own process. 
So to suggest that these guys just don't are almost admitting an inability to scout the position, I, I don't know if that was would necessarily be it as much as, look, we're not going to waste time in putting big money in a guy who really one or two bad kicks could end up, you know, uh, tarnishing what would have otherwise been a good year. So, uh, for example, a guy like Cody Parkey, when you really look at how he played in 2018, it wasn't an abomination of a season. I mean, he's remembered for obviously hitting the upright more times than probably any kicker has in NFL history in one year. And obviously, your last kick is your most memorable kick, and his happened to be the one that sent the Bears packing. So, I don't know if it's necessarily because Cody Parkey was such a failed evaluation as much as it was such wasted resources. And do you think that that is what is keeping Ryan Pace a little trigger shy? He's not pulling the trigger on any of these bigger name guys, even a veteran like a Matt Bryant, for example, who, I mean, if they sign Matt Bryant, the kicker situation is resolved. I don't know if it's necessarily better than it's been. I don't know if it's better than it was at Cody Parkey, but at least you know you have a guy who's been there, has in-game experience, can at least be somewhat reliable on the 40-yard and in-field goal. Um, is this more just because they just want to focus on other spots and will figure kicker out at some point in the preseason? Well, what gives me some pause about it is how often, you know, when Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are asked about evaluating kickers throughout the offseason and even in the past before they signed Cody Parkey, they almost always will refer to their special teams coach, Chris Tabor, and say, you know, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to Chris and we'll get his take on it. And it's important to get your coach's you know, opinions on pr- players that you're going to bring in and have them coach. But obviously, Chris Tabor coached Cody Parkey with the Cleveland Browns. And I would just assume based on that connection and, and how much money they invested in Cody Parkey when they brought him in, that a guy like Chris Tabor gives them a pretty glowing review of Parkey. You know, they they pay him all that money on, a, I think, a four-year deal or three or four-year deal for plenty of money for the kicker position. And obviously, it doesn't work out the way they want, and and they cut Cody Parkey after one year, despite, like you saying, you know, still hitting seventy six percent of his kicks. It wasn't the world's worst kicker, just you know, the big one at the end, and perhaps he gets more punished for that than anything else. But if if they're already bailing on the guy that their special teams coach vouched for after one year, I, I would think that maybe they they no longer have quite as much confidence in their special teams coach being able to give them a strong recommendation on kickers. And and maybe he doesn't have too many others besides Parkey that he would really get behind and then also have the opportunity to bring in. But it seems to me that they're saying, okay, well, we went with Chris on Cody Parkey. That didn't work out. So now let's just get a bunch of bodies in here and let's, let's hope we can get, you know, something out of them. But I I agree that the the financials and sort of the, the background team building of it is for sure a significant factor in here that they, they just don't want to invest too much in the kicker position. But at the same time, you know, now that Cody Parkey's out of the building, that dead money is going to be dead money no matter what. So if you're, if you're using Cody Parkey, not being on the roster, as a reason to not go out and add another potentially high-priced kicker, then you're letting Cody Parkey continue to negatively affect your team even after he's off the roster. It's not like the Bears are really at the bottom of the salary cap space. I think the last number I saw was, you know, well over 10 million up up closer to 15 or 17. You know, that's always unofficial at this point. So it's not like they couldn't afford to invest at that position overall, you know, even if they perhaps didn't want to. But if, if you're too scared from the money you're already paying Cody Parkey, then you're continuing to let that mistake continue to affect your team rather than cutting ship on that and just letting that go and uh, accepting the loss, but then moving forward to really take the proper steps to, rep, rep, you know, to, to solve that and, and make things 
much more consistent at that spot. So I understand there's, there's going to be dynamics here with the Robbie Gold situation that we just don't know. And in free agency, maybe a guy like Gostkowski wasn't really interested in going too many places outside of New England or whatever. He was asking for more money or however it played out. We don't really know on the outside, but what we do know is there's four kickers under contract and four more at this rookie minicamp. And the results so far from rookie minicamp have not been encouraging. This is, this is a huge problem because if what you're saying is true in that the Bears don't trust their special teams coach to necessarily evaluate a place kicker properly and the Bears don't have the scouting department or pro personnel department to be able to evaluate a kicker properly, how in the world are they going to be able to evaluate which one of these kickers in rookie minicamp is the guy who can kick on an NFL Sunday? If they can't figure well, this out in fr- well, I'm, I'm saying if they can't figure this out in free agency, if they can't figure this out through the college draft with the college scouting department, if they don't have the guys in the building who can make a determination and with some some relative degree of accuracy in terms of what kicker will be able to perform in Chicago next season, this sure as heck is not the way to do it, is to have eight guys who have, in large part, have never kicked in an NFL game, kicking a few of, you know, virtual American Idol-like competitions in a very controlled environment. I mean, I, I get what Matt Nagy's doing by doing that 43-yard kick and making it feel like there has some meaning behind it and this pressure behind it and the guy who could suddenly make a 43-yard kick in a rookie minicamp environment might have the moxie to step up and hit a game winner when it matters most but that to me is a very scary proposition for a team that let's be honest Lauren they might be a kicker away from making a deep playoff run or even a potential Super Bowl run and if you're going to rely on an open competition in rookie minicamp and maybe even training camp between guys who have no game experience in the NFL, guys who have not been there and done that, and you're going to rely on a special teams coach, a coaching staff that's going to eyeball these guys after just a handful of kicks and say, this is the guy that can do it on Sundays, that's borderline negligence from a, from a front office uh, management standpoint that I think could come back to be a death nail in this, in this team season. Look, kickers are like, it's almost like evaluating baseball players. It's stat-based. You're either a good kicker or you're not. You either have the numbers or you don't. And if you're an established veteran kicker, like a Matt Bryant, for example, it's not rocket science to, to, to evaluate this guy. He might not be as great as he once was, but an 82 or 83% Matt Bryant kicking percentage, I would take that over any one of these guys any day of the week. So don't you think that they are playing Russian roulette with the season by, by handling it this way? Well, look at how these kickers came in. Redford Jones wins an offseason kicking competition. I think it was even a kicking camp that the Bears weren't at. He wins that. Then they bring him in for a tryout. He wins the tryout and and they take him in. And then Chris Blewett, same thing. I think it was an offseason kicking camp. Then they bring him in for a tryout. He wins the tryout and, and they bring him in. So it's not like these guys, it, it doesn't feel to me like they're being brought in for their traits, you know, for evaluating, okay, here's his kicking technique. Here's you know, how, how he swings his leg. Here's how, you know, the angle of his foot. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a kicking technique expert by any means. And, and I don't get the impression that the bears have a ton of solid answers in that department anyway, because again, they're, they're just relying on how well do these guys kick in these kicking competitions in Hallis hall in these low pressure conditions. And, and that's, that seems to be the criteria for how a lot of these guys are being brought in. And now it's again, the criteria for how, are these guys going to kind of battle out 
for training camp and for these final roster spots. So I, I think it's going to come down to preseason kicks as being the closest game situations. And, and you wonder even if that's going to affect how Matt Nagy calls plays in the preseason, maybe wanting to set up more field goals rather than score touchdowns in those games just to give his kickers more chances in quote unquote real game situations that still aren't real game situations. And, you know, I have some, some sympathy for them and some empathy in that, you know, there isn't a great way to replicate those in-game situations. And I don't think most teams have any way of really evaluating how good a kicker is going to be in clutch situations. You just can't well, Lauren, Lauren, I'm going to cut you off there. I'm going to cut, I'm going to, I'm going to cut you off there. There's a very easy way to determine how a kicker is going to be in in-game situations. Sign a guy who's performed in in-game situations. I mean, it's not a concept. It's not, it's not rocket science to find a kicker who you can trust and rely on who's done it in the past. And I get it. You could argue, well, was Cody Parkey an example of a failed process in that, in, in that regard? Well, Cody Parkey didn't have the best track record before he came to Chicago. He wasn't exactly a, a, a premier kicker before he came here. In fact, if the Bears just held on to Robbie Gold, I mean, this is hindsight is twenty twenty, as we all know, but if they just held on to Robbie Gold instead of parting ways with him after a season that the, even, even in his worst year is a better year than anybody who's tried to replace him over the last couple of seasons, we wouldn't even be in this situation. So sometimes if you have a kicker who's just good enough, just above the bar of good enough, you stick with that guy because those guys end up having a season or two where they outkick their career averages, where they end up having career years, an 89, 90, 91% convert rate that ends up being the difference between advancing in a wild card round, playing in a divisional round, maybe pushing for an NFC championship game and going home early. But look, we could beat the kicker situation to death. This is a topic that is going to be raging on as we go through the preseason and into the regular season until and unless the Bears obviously make a move for a veteran kicker. But one of the things the Bears did do over the last week or so is make a decision on Leonard Floyd's fifth-year option, which is something that in the end-of-year press conference, Ryan Pace hinted at or actually directly said they were going to pick up his fifth-year option after being a first-round pick back in 2016. Um, they made it official, obviously, before that deadline to, to, to uh, de declare the fifth year on those first-rounders. What's your take on that? Do you think Leonard Floyd's a guy that the Bears should have picked up his fifth-year option, or do you think they should have let him go into that, you know, that career, that um, contract year in 2019 and see exactly what he can do? Well, the nice thing about the fifth-year option is that, technically speaking, the Bears can rescind it at any point up until the start of the new league year in March next year. So if Leonard Floyd has another poor season, they can take that back and not owe him any of that guaranteed money. I believe it's only protected for injury. So if Floyd were to, you know, tear his ACL or whatever and be out lingering into next offseason, then I believe that fifth year option would be guaranteed and then they'd have to pay him that no matter what. But they do have some flexibility. The, the deadline here was just to, you know, say whether or not you're you're interested in taking it and, and having that possibility still there and essentially, you know, saying that you will, but still have the opportunity to back out. But I don't believe at this point, Leonard Floyd has shown that he's worth a $13 million salary in 2020. And that doesn't mean he couldn't have this breakout 2019 season and put up double digit sacks. And okay, now, now you're, you definitely want that fifth year option to have him back for another year and then work out something long-term from there. But I feel like we've been saying that about Leonard Floyd for the past two seasons that, well, if he has that breakout 2017 season, then he's going to be great. If he has that breakout 2018 season, boy, he's going to be great. And I, you know, I don't know how many years we can keep saying that before we take a step back and say, okay, well, 
this this pick is not working out the way that the Bears thought it would with the ninth overall pick. And I understand injuries have been one of the largest factors, if not the largest factor in all of that. But that that's part of your evaluation. I mean, maybe he hasn't maybe that's the reason he hasn't developed as much as a pass rusher as you'd like. But if he's not going to be able to stay healthy for a full season, I know he played all 16 games last year, but played half of them with that broken hand. I mean, if he can't stay healthy, that's another reason to not pay him $13 million in 2020 and make him, I believe, the fifth highest paid outside linebacker in the NFL if and when that dollar kicks in. See, here, here's my take on this with Floyd. I mean, first of all, when you go back to his days at Georgia, he is in the NFL exactly what he was at Georgia. He's had four and a half and four sacks respectively over the last two seasons. He's proving to be a guy who might max out at that seven, eight, nine sack per season uh, total. And that's pretty much was what he was as a college prospect. And he was that that guy, that dangerous upside projection guy that back in the John Fox era was going to be apparently his new Von Miller in Chicago. And obviously he has not developed into that after his first couple of years here in the league. My thing is, you know, guys play for money, Lauren. They play for money. And the psychological impact of a contract year on a player usually brings out the best that you will get in that player. And for the Bears in 2019, a team that has Super Bowl aspirations, you want to have Leonard Floyd playing not only for that Super Bowl ring, but also that massive second contract. If he was, if he knew coming into this season, the Bears declined his fifth-year option, and he is going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, the motivation to have a 12-sack season would be at an all-time high. And if he can't get that done in a contract year, it's never going to happen. And I understand that you can rescind the fifth-year option and not necessarily be tied into that $13 million price tag. But you can also franchise a player at the end of year four. If he has a career year, if he is a 10, 11, 12, 13 sack guy, yes, you're going to pay a little more money to franchise him, but at least you know you're franchising a guy now with double digit sacks. So it's kind of like, well, you could either look at it six or one half dozen, right? One way to look at it is, well, you put the fifth year option on him and you hope he has that double digit sack year and then you get him at a, at a really a discount versus the franchise tag. But I look at it like, well, these guys, these NFL football players, it's not always about their physical ability. A lot of their success and or failure is based on their psychological approach to the game. What's going on above the shoulders? Motivation matters, and money is a great motivating factor. And if you knew that Leonard Floyd could be the difference between a Super Bowl team if he has a 12-sack season or a one-and-done in the playoffs with a six-sack guy, how do we get the 12 sacks out of him? How do we make that more of a realistic possibility? And I think telling Leonard Floyd, you're going you're gonna to cash in in 2020 if you have that double-digit sack season. You're either going to get a massive franchise tag and a multi-year contract extension where you're going to be one of the top five or six paid players in the league on defense, or you're not. So get the job done, get those double digit sacks, bring us to the quote unquote promised land at the end of the season by pairing with Khalil Mack to be the most ferocious pass rush in the NFC. If he was going into this season knowing it's a contract year, I think that strategically in this big chess game that is the NFL season would have produced even greater results or would produce even greater results than the fifth year option. Do you think there's any logic behind that? What's your take? 
I, I've, I've been wondering if the chess game is actually going a little bit the opposite direction. That when I think back to last season, you know, there was that long stretch, I believe the first, literally first half of the year where Leonard Floyd didn't have a sack and he was playing with the hand injury. And there was sort of this growing murmur about him really struggling to start the year. And, you know, usually a lot of times coaches will kind of defend the, defend the player and, and they, they obviously were, but I remember there was uh, some talks with the outside linebackers coach, Brandon Staley and Matt Nagy saying similar things about, you know, Leonard Floyd just needs to kind of put, put all the pressure behind him. Don't worry about the sacks, just play loose, you know, go get the quarterback and don't worry about everything else. Don't worry about all the noise and, and just be yourself and go get the quarterback. And there seemed to be sort of this, this mental issue with, with Floyd during the season that he was in his own head and, and not, not just playing the way they wanted Leonard Floyd to play. So I wonder if maybe the opposite is true, that they give him the fifth-year option to sort of show that confidence in him, that maybe they feel like he needs that sort of push from the team that says, you know what, Leonard, we, you know, we, we still back you 100%. You know, we believe in you, and we just want you to, to have that financial security. Go out and play football. You'll be back next year. You'll get a big contract raise you know, in, in your fifth year, and just come out, play with Khalil Mack, and ball out and, and do your thing, and, and don't have to feel that pressure. That, that maybe they wonder if, if there's some mental pressure that he's having trouble dealing with when things have been going bad, and he's had sort of these two, two years of not enough production and a lot of injuries and so many different things going against him that, that maybe the other side of the coin is true, that it is – this this show of confidence, the way we've seen them do with Kevin White in years past, where he's and, had these and, injuries. And so you bring Kevin White, and that was a big fail. I mean, I think what has to happen here in the NFL, especially with these NFL players, is you got to get the dog out of the player. You got to bring the alpha out of the player. And if if you feel like you have a guy that you psychologically have to coddle and protect and kind of pat on the head and say, don't worry about it. You're our guy. We know you haven't produced to the level of expectations that come along with being a top 10 pick, but don't worry, Leonard, you're still our guy. If that's the psychology and the psyche of the player that you're dealing with, he's not going to be a double digit sack guy, Lauren. It's not going to happen. Those guys don't just suddenly become the alpha and break out and dominate opposing offensive linemen. When the going gets tough, you need that dog to come out. And if you tell a player, look, you are a critical part of our team, but we're not picking up the fifth-year option because guess what? Look around the league. I mean, you look at a guy like Jack Conklin with the Tennessee Titans. The Titans did not pick up his fifth-year option. I'd argue that he's had a better start to his career than Leonard Floyd has. Leonard Floyd has only had eight and a half sacks over the last two seasons. He has evolved into a very solid outside linebacker. Nobody's going to deny that. And this isn't trashing or killing Leonard Floyd as a football player. Leonard Floyd is, Leonard Floyd is a good out, starting outside linebacker. He's good against the run. He's gotten a lot better in coverage. And he'll, he'll provide the occasional pass rush here and there. It's not to say that Leonard Floyd isn't a capable or competent starting outside linebacker. But Leonard Floyd isn't a difference maker on the edge that you would expect from a top 10 pick. Look at the guys that were drafted this year in the top 10. A guy like Josh Allen, for example, was drafted only a few spots higher than Leonard Floyd was. If Josh Allen, after years two and three of his career, has only eight and a half sacks total, the Bears fans looking over at the Jaguars would say, that guy's a bust. He's a bust. That's what we would be saying as it as if we were assessing a team from the outside perspective. We wouldn't be sitting here saying, oh yeah, Josh Allen, yeah, they definitely should pick up the fifth-year option after the career he's had. If Nick Bosa only has four and a half or four sacks in back-to-back seasons, Nick Bosa is a bust. He's not a guy who is, regardless of how good he is against the run, regardless of how good he is in coverage, 
he was drafted as high as he was to be a pass rusher. And the same applies to Leonard Floyd. So if you have to sit here and tell a guy like Leonard Floyd, we got your back, dude. Don't worry about it. You're still part of this team long term. You're coming back at a $13 million price tag in 2020 because we believe in you. Well, I get it. I mean, that's a nice guy approach. But in in the NFL, which is about producing results, and for a guy at Leonard Floyd's position, results mean sacks. If it's about that, then you have to challenge him. You have to challenge him to be what he was supposed to be. And I think the way the team can challenge him best is by saying, we're not picking up your fifth-year option. You have to earn that next big price dollar, that next, that next big payday, whether it's $13 million or $19 million. You have to earn it, and you have to earn it by having a huge year in a year that we need you to produce. So don't you think, Ryan Pace, it's time for him to start maybe changing the you know playing counselor role and start taking a more hardline approach. Yeah, and I, I wonder how much things are going to be different with you know Chuck Pagano and the whole new defensive coaching staff. You know Chuck Pagano doesn't seem like nearly as much of a you know a hard nosed no nonsense guy that that Vic Fangio was. But you wonder if you know like outside linebackers coach Ted Monachino coming from both that Colts defense and then he was the Baltimore Ravens linebackers coach for a long time. You know, that's that there's a there's a coach who might be a little bit more fiery and and willing to get up on a guy like Leonard Floyd. Whereas I kind of got the impression from Brandon Staley, the last outside linebackers coach, that, you know, maybe he was a little bit more of a softer spoken coach and kind of taken Leonard Floyd that way. But I I just wonder from, you know, I don't want to be the the armchair psychologist here and speculate too much about Leonard Floyd's personality and such. But I guess when you when you've seen Leonard Floyd in press conferences and even sometimes on the sidelines of games and stuff. He doesn't necessarily seem like that dog. You know, he, he celebrates when he gets a sack and, you know, he'll do his little stuff. But like, I don't know, he never he never seems to have a ton of that fire that, that we see. And it, it never seems to really be a, a super take charge type guy, which kind of lends to your, your point earlier. If, you know, then does does he need a little bit of that coddling and that, you know, that softer type of coaching? And will he respond more negatively to the harder and, and rougher styles of coaching. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of this, this layer to the game and to the evaluation that we on the outside don't get to see, but you know, the team's got to deal with that stuff and they have to know how to properly deal with that stuff. And so far, I don't know, it hasn't produced on the football field. So it feels like something's got to change. But, and if a team wants to be a Super Bowl team, if a team wants to win when it matters most, it needs to field players who can rise to the challenges that come along with an intense playoff and Super Bowl pressure. Guys who can rise to that occasion, who will not fold when the going gets tough. And I'm not saying that that's Leonard Floyd. So I, I want every all of our listeners to understand that that is not what I'm saying is who Leonard Floyd is. But I think it's important to make sure that when you're talking about the prime years of Khalil Mack, we have Khalil Mack in his prime years. We have to make sure that this defense has a running mate for Khalil Mack that can at least take advantage of one-on-ones, who can at least take advantage of all the attention that's going to be paid to Khalil Mack. We have to have on the other side of this, on this pass rush, a player who is going to be able to dominate his opponent because not only is he physically more gifted, but because he has the mindset that I'm going to win every rep, that this is my rep, that I'm going to get to the quarterback, that I am the dog. And I think if Leonard Floyd can't do that and needs to have a fifth-year option just to feel good about himself going into next year, that's a problem. And I think we're going to end up seeing a guy like Aaron Lynch 
who's back on such a one-year deal, I think you'll see a guy like Aaron Lynch end up getting more reps as a pass rusher because I think Aaron Lynch has a little bit of that dog in him. And if Aaron Lynch didn't get hurt last year, Aaron Lynch might have been on a might have been back on a multi-year deal, paying him a heck of a lot more money because he was more effective as a pass rusher. But look, we could again talk about Leonard Floyd until the cows come home. Rookie minicamp just is is winding up. Uh, by the time this podcast goes live, it will have concluded. Give me a, a, your quick hitters here, Lauren. A couple things that you are impressed uh, about from this rookie class, not necessarily because of what happened in the rookie minicamp, but just some stories that you've read, some some nuggets you may have learned about these rookies. You know, is there a guy or two or three that stand out to you that you're really, really excited about watching as training camp in the preseason here quickly approach? Well, the undrafted free agent class, I think, is is getting a lot of the love. And I wonder if that's just a result of not having as many draft picks or or just kind of how deep in the weeds sometimes we can get a, a little bit too a little bit too focused on individual things. But it is it is an impressive class. And I, I know you're a big fan of a guy like Emmanuel Hall from Missouri. And, uh, and I'll, I'll let you I'll let you have fun with him. But, you know, I'm looking at these edge rusher groups and, and you know, a guy like Matthew Betts from Canada, sort of this this un, unheralded, sort of semi-unknown player coming out of there. I believe he was the number three pick in the CFL draft as well. A lot of traits. And you're seeing, I think, that be a, a consistent trend with, you know, not only the late round picks with, with guys like Kareth White and Steven Denmark, but even these undrafted free agents. Emmanuel Hall with, with great speed and that vertical ability, those those rare traits in that, that regard. Matthew Betts being able to bend the edge a little bit, have some of that get off and a, a little pretty decent strength too. And kind of feeling like, okay, these are the types of guys that even if you don't keep them on the 53-man roster, you feel like you can stash them on the practice squad and, and let those traits continue to develop and, and be able to get something more out of them in the future. But I think the guy who might have the best shot at making the 53-man roster is Dax Raymond, the tight end out of Utah State. He, he's not a guy that necessarily wows me when, when I watch him on tape, but he, he seems to be like just good enough at everything. And he's he's... He's got some movement ability, but he's not a dynamic route runner or, or separator. And he's got good hands, but it's not like, you know, the world's best hands. And he's a pretty good blocker, but he's not an amazing blocker. But all of those things kind of describe a number three tight end who, who can do a little bit of everything. Obviously, Matt Nagy uses a lot of tight ends in his offense. They only have three veterans under contract. So you could even keep Dax Raymond as your fourth tight end, which the Bears have kept for. For, for quite a bit of Matt Nagy's career here. And, you know, he could compete with Ben Broniker and Broniker is a guy who can play a little bit of that fullback. If Matt Nagy wants to have a fullback there and sort of have Broniker's versatility be the reason why you keep four tight ends because he can play multiple spots. So I think there's a real shot for a guy like Raymond or, you know, the other tight ends, Ian Bunting or Ellis Richardson, but I'm a, a little less high on them. But I think Raymond is a guy, a, a draftable prospect that has a real shot at the 53. You, you touched briefly on Emmanuel Hall, and yeah, he is one of my guys from this draft class. And, and we go back at what we just talked about, Leonard Floyd, about having that dog in you. And Emmanuel Hall is a guy that has that. You know, Emmanuel Hall came out uh, last week and said how 20 teams were jockeying to sign him after the draft. And he ultimately chose Chicago because of his uh, interest and, and desire to play with the Bears wide receiver coach. And, and he's not intimidated by the wide receiver depth chart. I mean, if you look at Chicago, it's not really a place that if I'm an undrafted free agent, it's not one of my top destinations to go to because it's going to be really, really hard to crack the 53-man roster. When you look at the established veterans who are coming back in 2019 and you add Riley Ridley to that group of guys who's a lock to make the final roster, there's not a lot of wiggle room to make this team. But Emmanuel Hall, he's not intimidated by that. And you watch Emmanuel Hall's tape 
and you see probably, if not the best, one of the best vertical threats in this entire draft class. And that's something that the Bears, even though maybe Taylor Gabriel was supposed to be that guy, that's a position of need right now in Chicago, a guy that can really stretch the field. Emmanuel Hall is the best guy on the roster right now to fit that job description. I know Allen Robinson came into Chicago with some of that downfield playmaking ability, but that's a little bit deceiving because when he was with Jacksonville, he's, he's not really a speed guy. He wins on downfield routes. He's physical. He can out jump cornerbacks. He's open even when he's covered and he's, he's strong after the catch. So a lot of his big plays can come by breaking tackles and just taking off into the third level of the, of the defense. But Emmanuel Hall's the kind of guy that he'll, he'll separate. And if you're looking at a guy to target down the field 20-plus yards, Emmanuel Hall is going to be the guy that's going to get open. And I could see him being not only a guy that makes the team, but a guy that makes the active um, – actually plays on Sundays in certain packages where the Bears really want to open up the passing game. And obviously, we got to circle around to David Montgomery, right? I mean, David Montgomery is going to be the talking point of the entire draft class. He was already making a splash at rookie minicamp, apparently stretched out for 30-yard reception down the field that caught the eye of Matt Nagy and – he was being praised by Nagy for his uh, his ability to catch the ball when he was flashing at the rookie minicamp. So Montgomery's going to be a home run. He's going to ultimately, when it's all said and done, assuming he stays healthy, I think Montgomery's going to have a rookie season that even challenges guys like Josh Jacobs, who was drafted in the first round, which is really going to show the value that the Bears got in that pick, especially when you factor in the, 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 the trade for Cleo Mack. Essentially, the Raiders flipped into Josh Jacobs in the first round, and the Bears are able to get a player who I believe has similar, if not equal, talent in the third round. So the Bears ended up getting Cleo Mack and David Montgomery, whereas the Raiders ended up with no Cleo Mack and Josh Jacobs. So uh, at the end of the day, I think Montgomery is going to be the guy that's the most fun to watch and that's really not saying much. I think every Bears fan listening to this would already have him circled as the guy they can't wait to see get unleashed in the preseason and then the regular season. Lauren, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll be here uh, joining me here on Chicago Shuffle many times as we continue through this uh, this 2019 season. Tell all the listeners where they could find your work and how they can follow you over on Twitter. Well, you can read me with Brian over at The Bears Wire, and I'm also at NBC Sports Chicago. You can hear me on the Locked On Bears podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at Cox Sports One. Brian, I appreciate you having me on today. We're recording this, is I believe, exactly four months to the day of when the regular season kicks off. It's going to be a long four months, but uh, I'm looking forward to doing it, and hopefully we can get through it together. You say it's a long four months, but man, before we know it, it's going to be like Thanos snapping those fingers, man. It's going to be here in the blink of an eye. Bears fans, you could check out all my work again over at bearswire.com. You can follow me over on Twitter. I love interacting with Bears fans on Twitter at Brian Perez NFL. That's Brian with a Y. Make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this show or anywhere that you find your podcast from. Give us a nice review and rating as well. That obviously helps us grow this show. We're growing this show as a grassroots campaign, an organic uh, process here through your sharing it on Twitter, telling your Bears fan friends about us, and obviously those reviews and ratings help. We have, we're already getting some nice reviews and ratings over on iTunes, so much appreciated. Make sure you check us out next time when we come back. We'll be back probably within a week or less with episode number three of Chicago Shuffle. Bears fans, it's going to be a lot of fun as we march through the rest of the offseason and into training camp and i'll be here every step of the way to talk about it all with you guys come on back to the next episode of chicago shuffle